Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. My guest today is a campaigner, activist, and entrepreneur with a vision for a more diverse startup scene around the world. With founder Vine, Izzy Obeng heads up a small team with a very big mission, and that is to change the global face of entrepreneurship. And in less than three years, she's helped more than 2,000 future leaders develop their ventures. Multi-award winning and supported by some of the biggest names in global business, Izzy hopes to build the greatest network of digitally enabled businesses in the world and create a global talent pipeline. To tell us how, Izzy, welcome to Changemakers. You're joining us from Ghana this morning. Make us all jealous. How's the weather in Ghana today? The weather's delightful, and thank you so much for having me, Michael. It's lovely today, slightly overcast, but um, genuinely um, a lot sunnier than London is ever. <laughs> well, and dead on it, because I remember the first time I met you was on the campus of, of Queen Mary, I think, on, on the Mile End Road. Um, I'm not sure how sunny it is there today, but but certainly Ghana looks great on the screen that I'm looking at. Um, now, <laughs> let's get started on, on a wonderful story. Um Let's bring Founder Vine to life. And I guess the way that I might ask you to do that is that you've given us a top tip, which is to network, build community, and never underestimate the strength of your voice to make change. Explain the tip, introduce Founder Vine. Absolutely. So uh, I'll start with introducing Founder Vine. And uh, we are a social enterprise that focuses on helping diverse founders start and scale interesting businesses. And we exist because as a business sector, as a startup ecosystem, uh, we have massive challenges when it comes to diversity and when it comes to offering entrepreneurs or people who aspire to be entrepreneurs the same kinds of opportunities. And so we exist to increase access to funding, to provide the knowledge, the training and the networks that diverse founders need to start their businesses. And we've been running for about three years now and over that time what we've realized is the importance of networking and that's where my tip comes in when you're starting out it's pretty tough I always sort of joke that starting up is one of the most stupid but bravest things that you ever do and it'll be ultimately you know more rewarding than other other ways you can use your time and so I'm a big fan of people taking on projects even if those aren't going to materialize into commercial ventures and in doing that, building a community around you who can genuine, com genuinely commit to helping you grow, finding mentors who have a bit more experience in industry and, you know, leveraging their experience and their expertise in order to help you grow and finding peers around you who can um, tell you what to do and what not to do, where not to waste your money and where to maybe spend a bit more time investing in your skills. All of those things are super useful. And that last part of it, never underestimating your strength, the strength of your voice to make change, um, is one thing that's really guided me throughout my career. I think that when you come from the kind of background that I did, you know, uh, sort of working class, you know, black woman, I think there are certain assumptions that come with those backgrounds. And it's a travesty that we don't have more opportunities for people, more social mobility and more opportunities for people who come from more diverse backgrounds to access, um, you know, institutions and people who can help them grow. And so never underestimating the strength of your voice and using that every opportunity to help others, but to also kind of forward your own um, agenda, I think is really important. Now, I've seen how Founder Vine has developed over the years. And, you know, one of the things that it feels that you do very well is to communicate the problems with the stereotypes about 
entrepreneurship and the cost that that then has in terms of lost opportunity, lost potential realised. Tell us a little bit about those. Absolutely. So it's it's been a very interesting time for this conversation. And I, in many ways, don't know if I would have been talking about this so much, um, even just three months ago. And, you know, global events, uh, race-related events have forced us into a conversation about how race impacts different elements of our society. And from my perspective, when it comes to business, when it comes to enterprise, there are fundamental structural issues, institutional issues, social, cultural issues that have meant that uh, young people from diverse backgrounds have for too long struggled to access the right support, the right education, the right experience that they need to go and uh, contribute to the institutions and the organisations that will fundamentally transform our society going forward. And that's overwhelmingly in the, in the digital space. And so we have a challenge around our education institution, institutions who don't provide enough enterprise and digital skills education generally, but even more so if you are, you know, from a community where you, you're, you simply don't have access to that. And then when you go into the entrepreneurship space, we've got multiple overlapping challenges you know founders who because they haven't been socialized into these environments lack the the confidence and the skills to navigate these spaces effectively and therefore don't have the warm introductions to investors that you need in order to raise funding don't have the introductions to potential suppliers so they can be part of that supply chain and the list goes on and then when it comes to growing businesses we see fundamental differences in the base knowledge that entrepreneurs from the communities that we serve have which allows them to build strong sustainable businesses that have the potential to keep going and so the multiple overlapping issues that I'm really glad we're talking about now but need quite significant change. We'll go on to the effects of of, of 2020 in a minute but I mean in terms of the organisation that you found what, what, what always struck me was I guess the inherent positivity an optimism of all the people, all of your colleagues that, that I've met in terms of that we can take control, we can do things differently, we can empower people. In terms of the spark of the idea to do it, I mean, you, you've had a, a career working at large institutions, public institutions, the spark of you and others to actually say, right, you know what, we're going to go and do something exceptional and we're going to go and do it on our own and we're going to work with some of the world's biggest businesses where did that start good question so I'll go right back into my childhood so I uh, grew up in in North London in Tottenham and um, I always talk about the the sort of fundamental challenges that even as quite a young child I realized were around me and um, you know it wasn't until my teenage years that I I had a fuller understanding of the fact that, you know, my parents who worked really hard were still in roles that, you know, were that weren't commensurate to the level of education that they had and um, they weren't being offered the opportunity to what what, what did they do, Izzy? What 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 were their jobs? So my mum was a carer um and she worked, you know, really long shifts earning, you know, probably close uh, to minimum wage, and she did that for years and years. Um, and my dad, you know, uh, sort of came to the UK in the 80s and did a whole bunch of things and eventually settled and working with um, voluntary and community sector organisations. And 
growing up, I also had sort of older siblings who were trying to navigate spaces and, you know, didn't find the opportunities that uh, allowed them to go outside of Tottenham and experience new things. And more broadly speaking, I knew so many young people who just didn't, they didn't lack ambition. They just lacked the opportunity to um, build the skills and the knowledge that they needed to get out of Tottenham and do something interesting. And so I was always guided by the sense that something wasn't quite right. And for me, before I really understood anything about business, that um, that looks like going into politics. And I yeah, I mean, I, I read that. I mean, that you you that we could have been talking to Izzy Obeng, MP or Prime Minister. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about frontline politics, um, especially at the moment. But but I but I also read that you know you did take a view that you could get more done in business than actually going in into politics. I mean, is, is that is that the correct analysis of your position? Absolutely. And I think the the two work in unison. Government have an incredibly important role to play in terms of uplifting communities and providing access to education, knowledge, finance that people in these communities need to grow businesses. Um, But I think that where I see my skill set and my kind of ability is in, you know, working directly with businesses and helping them grow. And I feel that that's kind of where I see my part in the puzzle. Um, who knows what might happen in the future, but for now, that's kind of where I think I can make most impact. Well, I mean, who knows? But, it, but a lot of people would say that, look, I mean, it, it's a loss to, to public life that, you know, talented people with something to give are not sort of using the channel of public service, but actually using things, you know, like entrepreneurship and, and business to be that 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 force for change. I mean, do you accept that there is a cost to that in terms of the quality of of public life? If if people say we can't make that difference there, we're going to go and do something else. I think there is and there isn't. So I think that when it comes to our public space, there needs to be a lot more opportunity for young people and for people from less represented backgrounds to express their voices. There needs to be more opportunities for the business sector, for the enterprise sector to tell government what we need to be doing, particularly in light of recent events, I think. And so I'm seeing more and more activity in, you know, working groups and, um, you know, uh, APPGs and that kind of thing. And that's a fantastic forum for engaging diverse voices. So m- more more teamwork. Absolutely. Collaborating, collaborative working. Absolutely. And, and of course, you, you know, you, you've got a, a global view on this because you you divide your time between the UK and, and West Africa, Ghana. But of course, you, you're you're actually talking to us because you've been locked down in, in Ghana since the beginning of uh, coronavirus. Um, yes. but, it, but in terms of that, that global view of entrepreneurship and enterprise, I mean, is it, is it kind of like a uniform view from a fan divine perspective that actually these challenges of fairness and access and, and you know, opportunity tend to be a global issue? Or, or, or do you think the UK you know, it has got has got some catching up to do. It's, I think it, on from a global perspective, there are fundamentally similar challenges in, um, you know, access to education for those who are, um, you know, less empowered and, you know, access to the kind of uh, skill sets and experiences that allow for social mobility. I think that's a global challenge. And, you know, me being in Ghana, for example, is recognising that although we do fantastic work in the UK, we also need to be in parts of the world where it's needed more. But the UK, 
is special in that it is a true melting pot of people and you know has a very particular history that's allowed its cultural makeup to manifest in this way and it has a responsibility towards the communities who are now part of it and I don't know if over successive governments we have done enough to level the playing field there's still so much work to do but I definitely see it as a a marathon not a sprint and I'm encouraged by some of the um the initiatives and the activities that I've seen recently to do that Mm. I mean and of course this is the year where we've seen the Black Lives Matter marches, we've seen um, immense sort of take up to the streets of people that want to see that change. Some of my guests that have commented on this have said, look, you know, we've seen these moments where it looked like things might really change for the better, but somehow the energy diffuses and fizzles rather than it being the kind of the, the light dimmer that you're continually sort of like moving up how do you keep ensuring that you shine a light on an issue that has definitely captured public attention this year? Absolutely. And it's the recent events have been, you know, transformative in so many ways in terms of people's consciousness around race and comfort having uncomfortable conversations. And I don't think we should discount that. And, you know, when I talk to people, what I always say is that it's way too early to tell whether we are going to be able to move past that you know, performative solidarity that we're seeing now from organisations and businesses of various kinds and actually see concrete action, which is long lasting and multi-year. And so where we are now, I don't know if I'm, you know, as pessimistic and, you know, think it's going to fizzle out. I think what I see is uh, building blocks. And every time we have these conversations, every time we implement the policies and procedures in our organisations and, you know, build cultures in a way that you know, mean that inclusive voices can prosper, then we take that conversation forward. And so for me, what I want to see now is moving away from the talk and, you know, the the commitments and the, the, the statements and actually moving towards, you know, uh, these organisations putting out what they are planning to do, the concrete steps they are going to take and engaging organizations you know consultancies whoever they are diverse voices to be part of that and paying them appropriately to do that um because that's a that's another thing right isn't it um diverse people being called in whether they're internal stakeholders or external stakeholders to school people on these issues but not actually being compensated correctly and it's kind of that emotional labor that you need to do on top of whatever you're doing and if you if you were to use this interview to speak directly to leaders of corporations and organizations that might say look yeah we've got it wrong and we want to make steps to change what's the first significant change organizations can practically make what do they do immediately that starts them on that journey that pathway Yeah, so I'd say one of the first things they can maybe stop doing if they are doing that is asking their black and minority colleagues to put themselves forward and speak out against these things. Because I think although the logic, you know, makes sense in some way to ask them to do that, often these kind of groups that are being set up or these forums in order to voice these issues are deeply um, emotionally draining for these employees they're not being asked to do this in you know as part of their day job and it can be very taxing I think instead calling on external organizations who are 
hopefully run by diverse individuals who can consult on these issues and help organizations do that full audit of their current state because often these initiatives are being built on what is a fundamentally um, you know a, a, a co- complex culture that's not allowing these things to go through any further so doing an as 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 is kind of audit and making sure that all of those challenges that exist internally can be addressed before any initiative is to take forward I think is one of the first steps organizations can take. Now, I want to get back to your steps because, I mean, you mentioned growing up in Tottenham, you you mentioned a kind of working class background, but when you meet Izzy Obeng, you you meet somebody who is the epitome of mobility, somebody who has grown a career working at KPMG, working um, at the University of London, has briefed the Duchess of Sussex. I mean, you know, you, you see somebody who has started their own business. In terms of the entrepreneurial energy, I think you've called it, of your upbringing. Tell us about that as it pertains to you, but also explain to us what others could, you know, what are we missing from other other young people that are growing up in Tottenham, growing up in other inner cities in terms of the potential that is missed? So my position, I think, is an interesting one. And I'm very careful when I'm navigating spaces that I am always fully cognizant that I am not the norm so I have managed through um, sheer grit to you know get to university and to do the things that I've done and to you know be in the spaces that I'm in and um, I'm very appreciative of you know the people who have allowed me to do that but I recognize that my situation isn't normal and I go back to Tottenham and I'm not there aren't hundreds of thousands of people who have similar experiences to me we still have you know a country in which uh you know people from minority backgrounds are less likely to be in senior positions are less likely to graduate from university less likely to you know live in um circumstances in which they have access to you know their needs met so uh that's still a major challenge did did you have challenges is i mean what what were the what were the barriers that that you faced growing up? I had um, two very loving parents who did everything they absolutely could to make sure that um, I could, you know, thrive and get um, exposure to things that other um, children around me didn't. And so I had a dad, for example, who, um, I hope he doesn't mind me saying, uh, remortgaged our house in order to send me to boarding school. And it's only as an adult that I can look back on that and think, gosh, that was someone who was desperate for me to not end up in some of the situations he saw my peers ending up in. And I did that for a year, hated it and moved back to Tottenham. But um, the, the, the sentiment was there. Um, and so, you know, it's it's in the kind of communities that um, I engage with and that I've come from. It's it's you get people who are able to kind of push through, but so many people end up in situations in which they don't necessarily have, you know, the parents that can hold their hands and navigate processes through them or the school teachers who see something in them. And So that, that support network. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you also mentioned that for you, the riots in 2011 were a seminal moment in terms of your own development and view of the world just explain that for us yeah so I what was I doing so I was doing my A-levels around the Tottenham riots and you know they were 
nearly a decade ago now. And uh, the story of Mark Duggan, a young black man shot dead by police in Tottenham, is one that people in Tottenham still talk about to this day and are crying out for justice to this day, even though it's been closed. And it had a real impact on me and my sense of self and where I'd come from. The riots didn't come from nowhere. You know, we had, you know, intense poverty in some parts of, you know, North London, you know, East London. You had people who felt completely shut out of the change and the growth that was taking place around them. And it was just bubbling up for so long. And then you had the Tottenham riots after the death of Mark Duggan. And for me, I was uh, 17 or so at the time. And um, I started university uh, just a year later and studied politics where a lot of my thinking was around, okay, so how do we ensure that there is genuine social mobility? How do we ensure that um, people from communities like mine actually get access to public spaces, to you know, spaces in the business sector where they're able to thrive? And you know, by no means are we there yet. But, and it's yeah. fu- in a funny kind of way that that is also, it seems to me, part of the philosophy of Foundervine of, of collectivizing talent, of bringing people together. I mean, I mean, can you see that dotted line back in terms of the, I guess, the sort of the founding ideas that would then go on some years later to create the business you're now running? Absolutely. And I think in your in your introduction of me, which was brilliant, by the way, um, you mentioned, you know, being an activist. And it's not something I necessarily ever call myself, but I recognize the activism in our business model. You know, we are helping people start businesses. Yes. But, you know, it's more about the why. You know, we are fundamentally trying to change a system and we're we're aggressively trying to do that because we recognize that um, in in so many ways we we've got so much to do. and so. You know, Foundervine is fundamentally about advocacy. It's about providing a space and a voice for uh, entrepreneurs and uh, future leaders who just don't often get their voices heard in mainstream spaces. And I think we occupy quite a unique position to be able to do that in the ecosystem. And and also role modelling seems to me to be important as part of this. I mean, it, it sounds to me like you've had role models throughout a lot of your your life, whether whether it be parents and others. When people think, well, I don't have a role model, I'd love to have a role model, you know, in terms of how how that becomes a much more available experience for people, are, are, are there things that you can do to ask or to, I mean, if somebody's sat here going, I wish I had that, I don't have the, the parental background or I don't have the immediate social network, what, what are the steps you can take? So I always I always say to um, you know, people that reach out to me and they're looking for mentoring in different ways, you know, across my life, I don't think I've ever really asked someone, will you be my mentor? Um, I consume a lot of content. And I think, you know, just looking at you, Michael, as an example, you push out a lot of content. You have a live show, you know, there's, there's so many places on the internet I can find you and learn about you and what you do. And, you know, just like that, I think about some of my biggest role models who I've never met before. And and I hope we'll meet one day, but probably won't. And, you know, I have learned so much from them. So where there are people who are inspiring, I think that there's a lot of freely available. So you could learn from their story digitally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, you've you've got Michelle Obama as one of your as one of your inspirational characters. I mean, she's obviously she's got a, a fabulous podcast on at the moment. I think you can learn quite a lot about her life and her her worldview, really. 
Absolutely. Michelle Obama is definitely, um, you know, someone I've looked up to. And I think that what she represents for um, for women of colour, for women, for, for anyone um, is, is, is amazing. And um, there are role models a lot closer to home as well, who have been fundamental to my growth. And for some of them, um, I've, I've always thought when it comes to mentoring, it's so important to be interesting and interested. And when you're looking for mentors, they will be more likely to want to engage with you if you are showing that you're willing to go the distance as well. So I also love meeting new people and learning things about them and really kind of asking lots and lots of questions um, without necessarily saying those words or you'd be my mentor. A new person that you met recently um, and asked lots and lots of questions of what was the Duchess of Sussex? And um, I watched the interview in preparation for this. I mean, you had a, a great conversation with her about many of the issues we've been talking about today. How, how did you find her? Uh, she, she's just lovely. She's absolutely lovely. And um, I've been asked this before. And I think what I would say is that they were both disarming, sort of Meghan and Harry. They are fundamentally lovely, quite ordinary people. And I think you kind of build up an idea about what they would be like in your head and when you meet two people who are willing to have a chat who are you know really interested in you and who you know are, are just lovely it's it's hard to kind of see the the royalty and all of that you just see two people who are interesting um and so it was it was it was fantastic meeting them and I was just really grateful for the opportunity and they genuinely listened and were interested and um you know, outside of the recording itself, we had a really long conversation about their work as well. They're brilliant. And, and a lot of people, when they have those meetings, will often say that you feel listened to, but you also feel inspired to do more as, as a result. I mean, is, did you feel sort of empowered to sort of, you know, climb higher, if you will? Yeah, it was, it was hard not to. And I think I have a bit of a thing at the moment of um, balancing how I think people perceive me and how I perceive myself and what I'm doing. And making those two things align and I think very quickly tell us what do you think they see and what do you see I so I I think I'm too in my head that I don't necessarily always see our impact and it's only in moments where um people reach out to me and share something you know that I'm like oh wow so this is how far our reach extends and um someone the other day called me a public figure and it made me cringe right into my very soul the idea of that um and so I think there's kind of a piece there about making those things align because they don't necessarily. But after that meeting, I think, um, you know, to a much bigger audience than I think we've had before, I represented something. And mm. um, I've been trying to sort of navigate what that means because I have a responsibility now to make sure that I live up to those words and, you know, really deliver on that impact. I think a lot of people, in, in your position that are doing things and then all of a sudden the accumulation of what they've done puts them in that spotlight. I mean, you know, you, you do run that idea that, you know, we rarely are as others, as others see us. I mean, there's more, there's more self-doubt, there's more self-questioning. And of course, you know, I, I suppose as a last question, it builds on to a, you know, a sort of a view of the future. I mean, you know, in terms of all of that. I mean, we're into a new decade. We've started with, I mean, if, if 2020 is the first year and it's given us coronavirus, it's given us all of the, I guess, the drama of this year. As you look forward into that decade, it, you look forward to the, the work of Fan Divine, the work you're doing with, with young entrepreneurs around the world. I mean, 
give us a sense of how you feel about it when you look forward in terms of this decade, what it might mean to you, what it, what is it we've got to play for? So this is um, the beginning of what I think is going to be a very interesting decade in human history where we're going to see so much transformation in our societies, in our economies because of um, because of the kind of digital environment that we're in. You know, in no other point in history have so many people had such easy access to the tools to change the world. And so this is at a very exciting time for anyone um, if you have just a smartphone in your pocket. And I've seen that here in Ghana. I see that in the streets of London. And so I'm so excited for what that means for me personally. This decade, um, I'm I'm thinking a lot about what um, being much more um, involved in the bigger picture. So around um, access to education, around changing policy um, to the benefit of the communities that I've been serving in my work and what that looks like. So very excited about that. Izzy Abeng, what a story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. And my thanks to you. I mean, not not that I want to make you cringe, a public leader, no doubt. Um, (laughs) I think you have have earned that mantle. Um, Certainly an inspiring one, passionate about the potential of business to deliver a fairer society. I think on the political question, I'd say watch this space because I think yours is a story of overcoming adversity, forging new pathways and opportunities, and also providing that great sort of springboard for those with the entrepreneurial energy to go for it. And for more from the leaders inspiring new generations, do join me next time on Changemakers. Changemakers.